0: Okie dokie. So, today I am going to be analysing the hell out of our next film. The next film is one that I watch, like, a lot. Oh, my chair's so creaky. Anyway, the next film we're going to be analysing is Pride and Prejudice, 2005, directed by Joe Wright. Love this movie and i always watch it whenever i'm sad or i'm just not feeling too great i've got a lot to unpack here we know it's directed by joe wright and it stars Kieran knightley matthew mcfadden Donald Sutherland, Rosamund Pike. The, the cast in this film is incredible. It is perfect amalgamation of loads of different talents. I love it so much. It's very well cast is what I love about it as well. And I will say I'm not a great massive fan of Joe Wright and Joe Wright's stuff. I've seen Atonement, Anna Karenina, probably seen some other stuff as well, but I like the Kira Knightley ones. And this is by far my favourite, 100% utterly You know, I'm not a great fan of his stuff, but I love this. I love it because it just, everything kind of came together. You know, the aesthetic, just amazing. I love the whole vibe. The whole like British countryside thing, 100% is why I continue to watch it. The shots are beautiful. How on earth they were executed is a mystery to me. Because whenever I see a lovely scene in front of me, I go, "Hmm, this would be great to take a picture of. This would be a great picture. You know, maybe put it on Instagram, you know, go and take the picture and it's utterly shit. And I'm just absolutely floored by the fact that my eyes can see this beautiful image and yet my camera cannot. But somehow the camera captures amazingness in this film, which is what I really love about it. Okay, so I'm going to start with like a summary thing. Let me... I did write a document about this, so, you know, a little bit of prep. Basically, my summary just says, if you've not seen this film, where have you been? Have you not read the book, where have you been? Because it's the book Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Yeah, where have you been if you don't know the story? Because it's literally everywhere. People like to reference it all the time. Anyway, the summary goes like this if you haven't seen it. It's based on Jane Austen's novel with the same name. And it's set around the, like, we're saying late 1700s, early 1800s. It's a little bit, it's a little bit vague. We don't know when it was set. The Bennett family, because it's based on families, of course, they have, they only have daughters and they have, they have loads of them. The daughters are Elizabeth, Jane, Lydia, Mary and kitty and they're living in a time in which you have to marry your daughters off and if you don't have men then your money doesn't go to your daughters it goes to the men of course it does but that's basically the context of it and this story follows predominantly elizabeth's journey of marriage and money and what she deems is right and what is right and it's about money and love and the difference between the two and then we see the dynamics of the courtship at the time and how it can affect family and those around us and who we deem as someone you can go out with and someone who you can't go out with that kind of thing there you go that's the summary of it really is just it's about marriage money what's right what's wrong that kind of thing old stuff yeah it's a period drama so we're living in the olden days here there are no phones there are no cars And I love period dramas. Very crazy thing to say. A lot of people have a lot of things to say about this. I know loads of people who hate them and I don't. I love them. Like, I live for period dramas. Don't really know why. It's been a weird fascination I've always had. I do love a period drama. It's just the costumes, dressing up, that kind of thing. Just forget about the historical bit. I think it's it's really cool to be able to take situations in time and let them be seen in their original form or closest to that because then you can really imagine living at that time and living through the experience as well as just hearing about it that's so deep right let's get started so i've got a few points here i'm gonna start off just talking about cinematography in this film i love it it's beautiful i actually i'm gonna find out for you now who the cinematographer is and I think I've actually worked this out before, like I've researched this before and I've just completely forgotten about it. Cinematography is Roman Ozin and I've, I have looked this up before. I forgot to put its relevance in my notes because I'm an idiot. I'm new to this. But I yeah, I always also find that cinematographers can be good in terms of like, they're like chameleons in terms that they can put their own spin on a director's vision and work very well with the director. Because if you have a cinematographer that goes against the director, which is kind of stupid and why would you hire them, but it can ruin the whole look of the film. And I love it when you can see the director and the cinematographer kind of getting along because it means that the whole aesthetic of it just seems to work. Like what the director's trying to say works with what we're seeing on screen. Okie dokie, what's he known for? Oh Yes, this is one. Yeah, he did. Mr. Magorium's Wonder Emporium. I I strangely loved that film. Came out in 2007. I remember it. I've seen it very few times. I'm going to have to see it again, but I see the similarities between that and Pride and Prejudice, just in terms of light. I really think there's kind of like this golden light that you see in that film that you also see in Pride and Prejudice as well, which is... Again, another reason why I love this. Because I love the poster of Pride and Prejudice as well. Because it's like... They use the golden light. Yeah, I don't know any of his other credits. But I do know Mr. McGoram's Wonder Emporium. Cool. Okay. So, the cinematography. I have so many shots in this film that I just love so much. That ball scene. And I've seen this, like, analysed on TikTok. was all in one shot. So, basically, they go to a ball, like a party, in the old days. And the camera follows the party around and there's so many different elements of the party, so many different people, so many different characters and within that one scene, just that one shot of that camera going around and it goes around, poor crazy. It also makes it look like it's multiple shots when I think it is just one and we see the lies of these people because this story isn't just about Mr Darcy and Elizabeth, this is actually about everybody else as well this story their their romance wouldn't really happen if we didn't have everybody else as well so i think that it's really important that we could see that and that we could see the lives of other people because that's what we're looking into we're looking into these lives of other people in that time period and it just oh the energy i love it it gives so much life to this party okay there's also right i have this one specific shot that i love and I can't tell you, I, I don't even want to go into the meaning of it. I just love looking at it. But basically, I'm going to paint the scene. This is when, I can't exactly tell you when it was. Basically, and Mrs. Bennet tells either Elizabeth or Jane to go to see the Bingleys at the big house because they're the rich people. And she sends them across to walk, not to go on a horse, which means that, you know, or a carriage or anything like that, which means that, you know, they're going to get wet if it rains. And that was part of her plan because she's an absolute legend. And matchmaking is something she likes to take pride in. Basically, there's just this shot before the rain comes of this field. It works in the thirds, of course. And the first third is just the green of the grass. The second third is... There's this random tree. (laughs) And then the third third and the second and third thirds are made up of, like, the sky. But we can see, like, the clouds in the sky. We can see that it's going to rain... I just love that shot because the amount of times that I've looked, because I live in the middle of nowhere, so this is a scene that I've seen a lot in my everyday life. You just look over and you just see that perfect symmetry of nature. You just see that frame and you go, "Mm, I could take a picture of that. Like the quality of the sky, just everything. I just love it and it's just like, it's going to rain. That's insane, but I love that. We also have one scene that I always love from this is Mr. Darcy proposes to Elizabeth before she says yes. She says no to start with. The famous rain scene, it's crazy, but I'm not talking about that rain scene. I'm talking about afterwards when Elizabeth is staring at herself in the mirror. There's a lot of this going on and I think it's because at the time, you basically had to project a certain image of yourself outwards in order to draw people in and you could never truly be yourself because you don't know what danger lies within being yourself and whether you would repel people and things like that because people and suitors means money so it has a different meaning in that at that time anyway she says no to Mr Darcy which is understandable and we'll get into that scene later but yeah she says no but she regrets her decision because she doesn't realise that maybe she does like him. This whole time, she was just thinking he was rich and horrible and he had no personality. But he was, you know, they say the line between hate and love is very thin. And we kind of see that dynamic with them. After he's, he proposes to her and she says no, she regrets it. And she, she's, there's a scene where she's at herself in the mirror and she's like, because Kieran Knightley is really small, she can like, I'm doing it now, I can't do it but she like hugs herself all the way around so that we see her from behind and she's got like, you can see her hands on her back where she's like, can reach, <laughs> I can't reach, that far. But then she stares herself in the mirror and it goes really dark and we see time passing and like the candle light comes and then it goes and then it's just light and the mirror and it's so cool. And then Mr Darcy does appear in the corner I don't know whether it was a hallucination or if it was real. I think you can argue both ways. But he just, like, appears in the corner and she's just, like, looking at herself in the mirror but she's really sad and the light changes, you know, it's it goes light and then it goes dark. It's showing that time's passing and she still hasn't made up her mind. Or she regrets it big time and she regrets it every day. So that's one of my favourite shots. And then also, I cannot forget the last scene The dawn scene, how on earth they did that, I love it. I have always wanted to be able to capture that kind of thing. You could only capture it with your eyes. However, Joe Wright captures it with a camera. I really love it. It's just great. Basically what happens is she cannot sleep. She's just so in love and she goes outside and it's really cold and it's dawn. I mean, who gets up at dawn? Come on, guys. And it's summer. This isn't winter. So we're talking early in the morning. And she goes outside, she's got a little coat on, she's it's cold and she's just walking and the sun's coming up like it's all pink in the sky and as, a, as she's walking she sees someone walking the other way and guess who it is? It's Fitzwilliam Darcy. He's coming the other way and she's like, I, I love how they just like think it's so normal, you know, to be walking in a field and seeing your crush walking back to you, like... How normal is that to see your crush walking back to you, at dawn, to come and see you? Like, what, what the hell? Anyway, something I probably will never understand. The sun is coming up. It's the dawn of a new day. It's a dawn of a new era where she accepts that she's actually in love with him this whole time. And she didn't even know. And, oh God, <clears throat> can't talk now. But, yeah. So, basically, it's a beautiful scene. And we see them come together, finally. And that's what ends the whole... Well, it doesn't, it does. It's basically the kind of ending. And I think it's lovely and amazing. And the aesthetic is amazing. And just how the sun comes up, the sky's pink. Oh, it's like a painting. I'm not gonna lie to you. It's like a painting. It's, the movie is worth seeing for that one scene. And it's at the end as well, so you have to watch the whole thing. Oh, and another thing I love, there's there's a shot where there's a tree and she's sitting under the tree reading but it's a really cool tree like it's a tree and it's got like a massive trunk and it like the roots are out of the ground and you can sit on the roots because they're so big and she's just like oh she eats an apple and she's reading and it's before they go to see Mr Darcy's house because he's so rich that his house has open tours. you know those big houses you can go and look around that's his house she can go and look around his house like how insane is that her aunt and uncle who she's with are like oh should we go to Mr Darcy's place and she's like no because that's just after she'd refused him so she's a little bit uneasy now a little bit fragile a little bit triggered by the whole experience which she would be and she's like no 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 I don't I don't know apparently he's not going to be in so then she agrees yeah she's just sitting at the tree and I think actually I'm just thinking of that now like if she's eating an apple as well I'm pretty sure she is she's that's like paradise tree tree of paradise that is that is um garden of eden she's eating the tree she's eating the apple though so what we thinking Mm, but what kind of temptation is it is it the temptation to be so bold as to marry for love or is it the temptation of to be so bold to marry for money and is that knowledge that she's eating in that apple that she's in love with him and she didn't know that before but she knows that now and that's why she feels very uneasy about the whole thing because she's not being true to herself and she's lied however the situation is much more complicated than that but just a little bit low down there just thinking just playing around there okie dokie let's get on to the men let's go on to the men in this movie there's many men many men of course there are many men because it's a bloody movie in the are like, set in olden days. Of course, there's men. Okay, so the men we've got to contend with here, we've got a Mr. Darcy, as we know, is the main guy. Mr. Bingley is his friend who ends up marrying Elizabeth's sister, Jane. They're, like, perfect for each other. Yeah. And then we also have, to contrast Mr. Darcy and Mr. Bingley, who we like, mm. yeah, Mr. Wickham and Mr. Collins. Okay, so what we're going to say about this is that Mr Darcy and Mr Bingley come across as attractive because they have money, they are respectable, respected, they they also have the freedom as well to marry for love, like they are allowed to marry for love because they don't have that societal pressure or familial pressure, they do but they don't have as, as bad as say Elizabeth and Jane who they're the only girls in their family, like, they are the girls the whole family is made up of a girls, so none of them will get the money. none of them will be able to carry down the family fortune and continue the family name. So there's pressure there that if they don't marry for money in that way, they will the family will go under like they will have no money, they will have no house, it will go to their cousin, who's Mr. Collins. Mr. Collins again is under pressure to marry one of the Bennett girls. Well, he was anyway at the time because he is basically their receiver of the money. So in order to keep the money in the family, he's got to then marry his cousin. Incest. However, I don't know whether they're like second cousins or first cousins. It's or third or fourth or fifth. I don't know. It's not like we just don't. But anyway, he comes across as very... De- Tom Hollander plays him. He comes across as very desperate, very meek and um, awkward. And he's a, he's, a, he's a clergyman does a bit of the church stuff. Yeah, he's very boring and no one likes him. However, he has that pressure to try and find a wife. He comes across as very desperate, but you know that his motives aren't necessarily to find love. It is for money, yet his idea is very skewed because he has to marry for money in order to keep his family afloat, but also he kind of believes that that is love, like, that duty is Love, so he pre- he firstly says, Oh, mm, I like Jane the best. And Mrs. Bennet, Brenda Blethin, goes, She's already we think she's already engaged to uh, Mr. Bingley, and he's like, Oh, okay, so uh, can I have the next sister? Can I have Elizabeth? Uh, and he kind of presumes he does a propose to her, and of course, she says no, but he presumes that that's duty will make a woman owe him love, owe it, you know, in that way. So it's kind of like a weird mixture of duty, love, family, money. So you don't know who's telling the truth here. Do they really love you or do they just want your money? Or are they really just under pressure from society? Really, who knows? It's very crazy. Yes, and then we're gonna go on to Mr. Wickham. Now, Mr. Wickham is a really interesting character and he comes across as very likable to start off with he's very attractive he he's a soldier and Elizabeth kind of has his eye on him for a little bit because he has a mutual hatred for Mr Darcy because he grew up with him apparently obviously she not doesn't know anything of the situation and believes the stories that he tells her which is fair enough anyway by the end of it we find that Mr Wickham isn't after honourable means because he then marries Lydia, one of the younger I think she is the youngest or one of the youngest sisters being fifteen and marries her. He marries her, he elopes with her and he doesn't tell anyone about it and they find out about it through somebody else. And Lydia is very naive and believes that he wants to marry her. Like she Lydia is played by Jenna Malone. She's also in the Hunger Games. (laughs) Random. Jenna Malone does an amazing job as Lydia finding that naivety, because she is, she's so naive and playful and she's just a child and he marries her and it we find out as well that he also tried to marry Mr Darcy's younger sister, who is again a similar age to Lydia, maybe a bit older, when Mr Darcy's sister was say 14, 15, um, he tried to marry her as well for her money. So what he does is he kind of gets these girls and he gives them attention so that they like him and he then takes advantage of their situation and you know because these families especially families with just girls in they they have to have some marry off you know they have to the men then control the family and control the money so in order to get money he kind of marries her and then yeah it's all very in between the lines and I can't even bloody explain the situation now they get someone to pay him off to kind of live with her because he's like, he doesn't have any money himself. So obviously getting married to somebody, somebody with a dowry is going to give him a sufficient income where he can just do whatever the fuck he wants with the money because it's not hers. It's his money. Yeah. And he likes to pick on younger girls, including Lydia and marries her. So Mr. Wickham is seen as an exploitative man. Mr. Collins is seen as desperate and these two come under the umbrella of they're marrying for money they're marrying for bad reasons not necessarily good reasons and that's because they're poor and they do not have the choice to marry for love and that kind of that kind of environment it begs the question what money can do to humanity can money change a person? And 100% yes in these cases, because this film romanticises the period and we see Miss Darcy Mr Bingley as romantic figures, and Mr Wickham and Mr Collins as not, simply because their motives are completely different. It does give the idea that motives for money are bad. Yeah, they're just not good. So then it's the question, what is more attractive, money or love? But it's a paradox, because Mr Darcy and Mr Bingley are attractive because they can marry for love, but they have money. So there is always that option there. That is, It is always there. And the only reason they can marry for love is because of their money. And I mean, yes, the situation is quite a bit unclear. You know, they can't marry below their station so much, but it's not the end of the world if they do. And then Mr Wickham and Mr Collins they don't have the option to marry for love at all because they simply can't afford that. So it is all to do with money. This film is romanticising that, which I think is interesting. And it does so successfully. And I think that the context can be forgotten. And then you think about it and you go, "Mm, but money is attached here." Let's just take a step back here and just get ourselves together. What is more attractive, money or love? And it's both in these cases, and is romanticisation of the time period and of romance, which again I believe is actually in line with Austen's intentions. Jane Austen, who wrote the book, of course, she writes a lot about these men who are gentlemen, about these romanticised men with money. She really does romanticise the hell out of the time, and I think that she's. I think she says something as well. which is a quote that she says, and I don't. I don't actually know what the quote is. I can't remember, but. It was about, you know, how in her books these men, they're not real and she doesn't think she will ever find a man that is to her standards because she believes he simply does not exist. And that is why in her books her men, the men that she writes, are so romanticised because what else can you do in that time period when all the men want is money uh, and something else... (laughs) They have power over you. You cannot do anything about it because you are a woman. How are you gonna how are you gonna live and have fun? And so Jane Austen writes books and also makes the most beautiful character her own name. Jane Bennett is what she's called, and she is apparently very, very likable. Everyone loves Jane. And everyone loves Jane because She's named after Jane Austen, who wrote her. So we always love that little reference there. Okay, so now I'm going to talk about the family's duty for money because I found that it's interesting to look into because basically, um, Mr Darcy does a propose to Elizabeth and she says no, but she's kind of mad at herself and she's reluctant to say yes. She thinks she can't say yes. At the time, I kind of saw that I've seen that as being oh, uh, maybe she doesn't like the fact that she's in love with him. Maybe she's scared of love. But maybe as well she's fighting, she's rebelling against her duty and her duty is to marry somebody with money because that's how her family's going to survive. And maybe she clocks herself doing that duty and she fights against it because she believes she should marry for love. And maybe she doesn't believe her her love for Miss Darcy is real because, it, well, it, it isn't because she and insults him all the time but it's like how we project ourselves onto the world and how that was totally the wrong point but maybe her reluctance to love him is due to her rebelling against her family's duty because by being with Mr Darcy she is kind of she's entering herself into a world she might not want to and she's also giving her parents exactly what they want and that was never her intention she's very rebelling she rebels against the norms she calls people out she is not afraid she literally insults the hell out of judy dench who plays Catherine de burgh who is a very powerful woman who has a lot of money and status and she just sits there and obliterates her i say yes go for it girl get it i guess however is that her rebelling against her affection for Mr. Darcy there because that would be exactly what she needs to do. I don't know. Okay. I also have a little bit here on like I've said the opulence of the countryside. Now I love, love, love. I said about this in the cinematography section. I love... The whole aesthetic and the frames, the shots, everything, amazing. But also, the big point here is that the countryside is seen as opulent in this movie because we follow characters with money and money can beautify it. Mr Darcy, Mr Bingley, the big guys, have massive estates. Estates that cost a lot of money, estates you can only have if you have money and they are romanticised the hell out of in this movie because they look beautiful. And they look beautiful simply because these people have money to maintain them and these people have money to look after them and to make them their own however it's kind of wrong because it makes the countryside seem peaceful a playground when in reality there are people who work that land and are working all the time we don't see that too much in this film because this film follows more affluent people there is a farm on the bennet's house but it's never really it's seen as quite chaotic and quite it's romanticized again however i think that in real life it would play a much bigger role in terms of finances again it would be much more important to maintain and to keep going. We don't really see too much of it. It's kind of used for effect. Yeah, it's just a little thing that I just picked up on was that we see it very beautifully, and I'm not lying, the countryside is beautiful and is portrayed very well in this film, but it's seen from one perspective and not the other perspective of people who work the land themselves, which, of course, they're going to see as beautiful anyway, but they uh, also see it as as hardship as harsh reality as the you know the countryside's nature and nature can be a horrible thing as well it can be very destructive and we only see it in a positive light in this film okay i also talked about how nature i talked about nature in terms of how nature can represent purity and we see this in lydia's case here we see Lydia as a little young girl. She's she's crazy. She's absolutely off off the rails. She's obs- she's crazy. Okay, so she's having a great time anyway. But she goes to the city with, i um, I think it was like her aunt and uncle again, or her uncle or a relative. And she really wants to go because the soldier's there, and she's very curious as to getting a young man to fancy her. She wants to go to i think she goes to bristol i don't know it's somewhere down south anyway she wants to go and meet these soldiers or whatever and she's given a chance to go she goes her family go against it but her dad was like mr bennett was like you can go i don't give a shit you're just gonna end up he thinks that she's gonna go woo some men woo very badly and get her ego Broken. And I think that was a little bit ignorant of Mr. Bennett, considering he's a man, and doesn't really understand the real dangers that could lie for a young girl as young as fifteen to go to a city like that where there's soldiers who aren't necessarily seen as the most respectable men in society in terms of in terms of their their family's position as they need to marry the children off to good respectable men for their incomes a soldier is not going to do that a soldier is going to cost them money which he ends up doing anyway but that is where she meets mr Wickham, and where they elope they think they go they go to gretna green to elope or something crazy but anyway they do elope and we see lydia first in the countryside and then we see her go to the city and she comes back a married woman so i think in a way the city can be used there as being corruptive And that is why our story is not necessarily a focus on corruption as much as other stories could be during the time period. So here, I've just written that cities can be corruptive to young women in this time. I was just going to add some more, some more. Okay, now this is going to call some people out. And if it calls you out, I'm sorry. Anyway what I'm going to talk about now is I'm going to talk about Mr. Darcy as him as a whole damn character because he's got some issues, loads of issues, okay? Being attracted to emotionally unavailable guys. Let that sink in for a second. Hmm, okay, I'm talking about, of course, Fitzwilliam Darcy in this He is emotionally unavailable because he has many issues of his own. Unfortunately, that works in his complete and utter favour in this movie because it seems to make him more desirable because he's mysterious, he's got secrets. You don't know what he's thinking and I think that makes him more desirable to some people. That makes him 100% relevant to today because... We are absolutely thwarted by the amount of emotionally unavailable guys in today's society. And Mr Darcy is no exception to that rule. Next up, we're going to talk about... We're going to talk about Elizabeth and Mr Darcy. And we're going to talk about how their love story is kind of like portrayed. So, of course, we all know there's that famous scene where she goes to hop on the carriage and he reaches for a hand unexpectedly to guide her in and we linger on their hands touching and then Elizabeth gets into the carriage and he walks away and there's a shot of his hand and he like flexes, I'm doing it right now, he flexes his hand which is absolutely utterly insane, however it makes people go feral. It's very dramatic, it's very very subtle and it's subtle and it's intimate and it's different because in that time, in terms of how we portray the time in media and in the general is that, you know, you can't cross too many boundaries in that sense because it's suggestive. Um, it's kind of got like a, a reputation for being prudish you know, you can't cross too many boundaries because people are going to think things and you're going to be seen as a massive slut. So that is a way of saying that in the very small way to say they're attracted to each other because it's not obvious because Elizabeth hates him and he hates her and I think if we don't have that kind of moment where we see them come together for a tiny, tiny second, then we're going to believe that they are, full-on enemies which is what makes this trope so exciting to people Um, and I also wrote here and underlined it delayed gratification and I think that that is definitely something in this kind of dynamic as well is that we see them fighting we see them apart and then we have a glimpse of them together and then it's away again you know the way that he comes after her in the rain and goes I was gonna say will you go out with me no he doesn't say that he says will you do the honour the honor of being my wife? Or he says something like that, like in, in the way he says it. And then she goes, no. She goes, no, because that makes everyone go, what? He's just literally asked you to marry him and you said no. How dare you? But of course, I'm going to talk about it. She had exactly every reason to say no there. Yeah, we see them with moments like that. So we see them come together for just a split second and then they're apart again. That's how the movie keeps us hooked on it because... We come and see them together and then we see them away and it's just push and pull, push and pull all the way through. And I've put here as well that in period dramas in general, intimacy is seen completely differently to how it's seen in modern stuff because there's the context of it being kind of more dramatic and outrageous. But it's seen much more subtly and I think that in a way that's kind of beautiful because we're able to see just through their body language and where the camera is looking that these people like each other and um, they don't have to say that which again is kind of a little bit of a red flag because that's again in with miscommunication so I said here subtlety of courtship female gaze a lot of people especially on TikTok like to see that that hand thing they're like female gaze female gaze female gaze What makes that the female gaze? And I think that that's because it suggests intimacy, but in that form in which they know each other as people. Nobody really knows what the female gaze is. A lot of people say it's because there's a woman behind the camera, things like that. But also I think that in terms differently to the male gaze, the female gaze is about kind of like intimacy, but intimacy in knowing each other like, really knowing that person, that is the female gaze. And when he lets her in, like, he lifts her up into that carriage and he's away flexing his hand, it's very suggestive, but it's also really intimate because he's just held her hand. And it's very subtle and very small, but people go feral over it. Absolutely feral. Let's go around and moan about Mr. Darcy. Okay, in a bad way, because I don't love Mr. Darcy. He doesn't work for me. He used to, but now I'm like, he's toxic. His real name's Fitzwilliam, so if that doesn't make you want to jump out of a window or get an ick, then I don't know what will. And then one thing I've put here that I always remember him saying is when he proposes to her in the rain, he goes, are you rejecting me? When she says no, he goes, are you rejecting me? Like that. And I find that really annoying, and the fact that he can't take rejection. His ego has been bruised, and in real life, if somebody with an ego as bad as him did that, the healthy thing is to maybe give up at that point, but it feels like neither of them do. But anyway. And it's, I've said here, what rejection says about a person. She says no to him, and he gets triggered. I don't like that. Anyway. So, he is all about his outer image and how he looks to other people. There's a great scene where Elizabeth goes to his big fat house and she's looking around his, like, gallery because he has a gallery of sculptures, because that's normal. And she stands in front of, like, a bust of him. She just stares at him. And that shows how they kind of portray themselves differently to each other than how they really are and again that's a bit messy for me but yeah and it's also how you can't really know that person unless you make big moves on them I don't know that's an interesting scene I also think about it as unrequited love as well like she's looking at him but he's just a figment of She's projected her image of him onto that bust, so that's who he is. But it's not who he really is, though, is it? And he's also very introverted. So he kind of is a contrast in the fact that he's so proud to everyone else, but inside he's quite introverted and quite vulnerable. And he thinks negatively about himself, and we can tell that from just the way he looks. So in terms of how he dresses, and he wears quite dark clothes, quite simple clothes, really not anything flashy. I mean, if you had all that money, you'd probably be going for something a bit flashier, but not him. Matthew McFadden does a great job as Mr. Darcy, you know. He's able to portray that hard and that coldness, but also that introversion. And I've seen in, like, an interview where Kira Knightley was saying how Matthew McFadden is really tall, like, he's a great big man, and the fact that he was able to, which really helped with Mr. Darcy, because if he's bigger, he's, like, more intimidating, he's more powerful, but also she said that she admired how he can just become that vulnerable Mr. Darcy as well, because that's quite hard to do, and you can see that in his face. That's another thing, okay, we're going to talk about him later, but yeah, he's really powerful and he's mysterious. He's not very, the most attractive, I would describe him as old-fashioned handsome, but he's got a few questions in my mind just because he cannot communicate to save his life he also is very hot and cold he is so loyal to the fact to the point where what if elizabeth was telling the truth when she said i don't like you leave me alone and he just continues to try and prove his love to her through his loyalty and yeah it would be a different story if she didn't like him would be a little bit questionable and that's all I'm saying anyway just to kind of put a damper on things <laughs> just to play in a little devil's advocate here okay so next up we're going to about acting appreciation time woo we're nearly at the end so there's so many great performances in this film honestly so well cast I love it cast honestly why am I turning into a posh person cast so well cast unbelievable first up we've got Brenda Blethyn as Mrs Bennett I am love this. She does a great great job. I just love the energy that she puts into the role because Mrs. Bennett is kind of out of control. She's a bit crazy and you can take her in whatever way you want. You can take her as some kind of matriarch or you can take her in like a all over the place like oh my god, you know she's so stressed out. She's trying to see all her daughters' futures when there's literally five of them and one of her She's trying to control so many things in her life that she can't control, and, but she adds fun to it. She's quite dramatic, She's just takes things a little far and I think it's quite funny. And she becomes quite a comical character because it shows that the one thing she loves most in this world is her family. And she's willing to do anything for them. That means being absolutely crazy but it means that she's successful. So she's a very successful character, but she's not seen in that way because we see her in quite a flitty, emotional state. But I love it because it's kind of that femininity is also powerful as well. And she is a powerful character. She gets her daughters married off to some of the richest people in the country. And I think that is a major achievement. Kira Knightley's Elizabeth Bennet is interesting. I have seen the other version of Pride and Prejudice that is a TV series that has Colin Firth in, the famous lake scene where he falls into the pond and gets out and his shirt is all wet. Um, They did that in Bridgerton recently. Keira Knightley's Elizabeth Bennet is different again too. I can't remember who played her in the BBC series, but that one. And she's kind of, she's headstrong again but she's a little bit awkward. Kieran Knightley's performance of her is a little bit awkward and I think I like that because it shows that she's real. She has insecurities, like she comes across really confident but she also has insecurities and her insecurity lies within her ideas of love and her ideas of marriage. And maybe she's not ready for that or maybe she was, I don't know, and I think that she was getting ready you can see in her character, the start, she is she's a, she's a child and this is all very above her, it's not anything she's worried about yet and then we see her see this through her sister and then it starts happening to her and I think it happens too quick for her and we kind of see the mental process that she goes through in order to be ready for marriage and in order to know what marriage is and I think she's an honourable character because She actually does consider in some point what it means to be married and what it means to choose somebody and be loved and all that stuff, all that crazy scary stuff she does go through in this movie. She has quite a harshness to her as well as Mr Darcy and we see that harshness kind of gone away by the end and it's the same for him. Their harshness, their outer exterior is kind of like sanded down because... They're in a position where they can love freely and they're not ashamed anymore but there's a lot of shame attached i believe when i see it i attach shame to how they feel i think you can say loads of other things as well but for me it's it's shame attached to it and by the end the shame is kind of gone because they've kind of worked through it jenna malone as lydia i love her as lydia because Lydia is one of those characters that is not supposed to be as significant as she is. Yet she really makes her role the most in this. She's very playful, she's incredibly naive, and she acts like a child because she is one. There's, there's a bit where they invite Mr Wickham over to dinner with Lydia after they are married. And she sits next to Elizabeth. And she thinks now that she's a married woman, she's an adult she goes on about how all their affairs and things like that and she pours herself this glass of wine or she takes the wine from Elizabeth and drinks it herself and i think that that's such a great thing because <laughs> it shows that she is a child she's a child and she's not supposed to be in this situation but she is and it's sh- it's kind of tragic in that way because that part of her childhood has now been taken away from her she is now seeing the reality of the world but she's still in that honeymoon phase where she doesn't quite understand it but she's full of energy and full of life and that really brings across the childishness of her character and and how yeah how she is a child she's literally a child here and there's that horrible little bit of a scene where they're going away in the carriage her and Mr Wickham and she's waving at everyone because you know she's quite proud of herself and she's got quite an ego and i love it because her ego comes through but then she's crushed again but she still brings it back up again it's insane and she's waving at everybody and as they literally come out go through into the distance he pulls her down in quite a violent way you can't see it properly but you can just see him do that and she's pulled down and I hate that bit because that just shows their dynamic that he is exploiting he is not he doesn't love Lydia he isn't gonna look after her not at all it's sad how the family doesn't want to see it because that's life that's how that's it that's how they've got to deal with it okay next we've got tom hollander as mr collins yeah great tom hollander in the parts of the caribbean films as the i don't know who he is is he like the commodore general guy i don't know He's a very similar character in Mr. Collins in the fact that he is awkward, he's very small, um, he's very unattractive and not desirable in the slightest, yet very sweet in his attempts. Yeah, he's just a disgusting character, like you wouldn't like him in real life and that's totally how he plays him. And he's quite a comedic character. He does remind me, just thinking about it, he reminds me of Josh O'Connor's Mr. Elton in Emma, the new Emma that came out. Josh O'Connor played Mr. Elton and sometimes Mr. Elton is seen in Emma as the desirable guy because basically Emma's friend fancies him and he doesn't fancy her, but he actually fancies Emma. But you know, they're not aware of this. And a lot of the characters of Mr. Elton play him as kind of like a playboy because he's so desirable for everybody. But Josh O'Connor played him as very funny, comedic and weak-minded and just a wet wipe, really. And it really reminds me of the Tom Hollander's uh, Mr. Collins. So maybe he took inspiration from that. I don't know. But there is always one of those characters in Jane Austen things and yeah, yeah. And then finally, Matthew McFadden as Mr. Darcy. And we've spoken about it before, I'm just going to add some points. The way his face changes throughout the movie is kind of weird. But like at the start, he's very harsh. He's tensing, his face is tensed, he's thinking. You can see him really thinking and observing in front of him. You know, insane. Insane. But then at the end his face becomes softer and I think as well they change his costume to kind of help this. But like at the end his face is much softer, he can control his face in that way and he's so much more forgiving and youthful by the end of it and that in a, that is such a good indication to say that this guy's changed. This guy isn't who he was at the start and he's not ashamed that he is a different person and I think that a lot of people don't like change, and especially in these, in movies, you have to have change to create action and to create story. But he has changed completely and utterly within his mind and himself. We see him in a different light, and we see him in such a different light. But Matthew McFadden really does use this really well. Like he's so stock he's quite stocky, he's quite hard, he's quite cold. And then by the end, it's if he becomes a different person. He's softer. He's he's more forgiving. You see empathy in his eyes. He's much more open. And that is a hundred percent a great difference in his character. And Mr Darcy is quite a hard character to kind of take on. In terms of, you know, his motives and in terms of his hidden world, a lot of the work that you'd have to do would be mental and really know what he's thinking because we don't know. We're not supposed to know what he's thinking and I think Matthew McFadden does an amazing job of that because we see him so many times and he just says nothing. He says so few words that we then can create a version of him in our heads and that is the attractiveness of his character because we don't know anything about him. He's mysterious. He's mixed signals. But yeah, Matthew McFadden does a fine job of that. And also, notable, Colin Firth's in the other version as well. However, I feel like in this movie, he's got less time to be doing all of that change because it's a TV show, the other one. And he does it so well in such a short span of a movie, if that makes sense. It's quite difficult to do that change. So, I think that's everything. Oh God, I've been talking for an hour. <laughs> Great. Okay, this would be so fun to edit. Anyway, this is Pride and Prejudice and please come for my next one. I don't know what it's going to be yet. I didn't know I was doing this one, to be honest. I just kind of did it. But yeah, I love this movie and it's just... Yeah, I love it. And I love it for loads of different reasons, which I've discussed, of course. Obviously, if you like this movie as well, good for you. If you didn't agree with anything I said, then that is fine too. You're entitled to your own opinion, so am I, but this is how what I believe. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed listening to Movies on My Mind, the podcast, and next time giving you some even more crazy movie suggestions.